I'm Kim Grinnells of Dogman.com with Scott Eklund. Day after the second official signing day for the class of 2018, Washington. Pretty uneventful day on signing day. Lots of other stuff going on around the Pac-12. But uh, overall, mm. class, you know, you've been doing this quite a while, Scott. Um, anything really jump out to you in this signing class? I think it was the fact that Washington was able to close strong. They They – they really maintained their momentum with the class throughout the whole recruiting process. They were getting four and five star or four star guys, uh, you know, back in the spring and through the summer, they got a few more and then they got a few more in the, in, you know, the early part of the football season, they ended up getting closing relatively well with um, a guy like Kyler Gordon, uh, the day after the mid-year signing day, he committed to Washington, and they they signed him back in December. And then then you look at how they kind of closed up the class over the last week and a half with Julius Irvin and Tuli Letigis. I'm still trying to just work say out Thule. the name. Just say Tuli. Yeah, they Tuli. Yeah, so Tuli. Um, you know they're. The way they closed out the class was unbelievable. You know, people might have a little bit of a sour taste in their mouth over Jeremiah Martin uh, committing to ten, uh, Texas A&M. But, you know, Washington closed this class up really, really well with two high-end four-star guys who are very much sought after by teams across the country. And uh, I think you really have to applaud Pete, uh, Chris Peterson Ikaika Malloy, I think, really redeemed himself from the year yeah. before and has shown himself to be a pretty good recruiter. Jimmy Lake has proved him proven himself to be one of the top recruiters in the entire country. This class and Scott Huff closed all his guys up in the you know in December. I I'm wondering if he was just sitting back with a cigar in his mouth and his feet up in his in his office because he yeah, didn't really right. have much to do the last month. Yeah, you know, you take a look at the commitment list and uh, you know. It, because they got so many defensive guys early, I mean late, it makes it look like they focused on defense, but it was pretty even class across the board, you know, with 11 on each side of the ball. But it looked like there was a kind of a heavy emphasis on guys that could play defensive line and buck type guys. So a lot of guys, you know, in that front seven that can play up a little bit closer to the line, Scott. Yeah, yeah. And I think Washington really wants to find a buck linebacker that they can plug into the into the program and into the system and everything like that. I don't think they still feel like they can get the pressure off the edge like they want to. Um, Zion Tupuola Fatui is a guy who's going to be at the butt one of the buck linebacker spots. But, you know, he he's a guy who I just don't see him being as explosive as they kind of need to be on that at that position. You know, he's a big guy. He's 6'2". He's, close, he's probably closer to 270 at this point in time. So um, we've got him listed at 250. And, you know, he's a he's a talented guy but and can really get after the quarterback. But I just don't know if he's that guy you need off the edge. So yeah. I think Washington's really still trying to hope – hoping to find that guy. Is it going to be someone on the roster? Um, is it going to be someone that they might be able to bring in um, over the summer, at, you know, as a late signee or something? I don't know. Um, I'm not trying to throw anything out there. We don't know of anything like that happening. But I, I just think Washington wants to get more dynamic off that edge. And uh, unfortunately, that's the only piece of this class that they were missing. Well, Scott, you know, and people talk about this and it's one of those things where I get a little crazy, just like in basketball, people are saying, you know, they need a big, well, everybody's looking for bigs. There's not many out there. And when you take a look at elite pass rushers, where are they? Who's getting yeah. them? Take a look at the first round in the draft. If you're an elite pass rusher, you're going in the first round of the NFL draft. How many are going in the first round of the NFL draft this year? Those guys are really, really hard to find. So when people are talking to me about, well, they didn't get an elite pass rusher. Well, who did? Those guys just aren't out there. They're hard to get. Um, you know, so it's one of those things where like bigs and basketball, you're not going to get them ready made coming in. So you're going to have to develop them. And I think Washington's got some pretty good candidates that they can develop. Will they turn into a, ha a Haoli Kikaha? Hard to say at this point in time, but Scott, those guys are just so hard, so difficult to find, and everybody wants them. Yeah, and and I I would absolutely agree with you in that assessment that they are not they don't grow on trees. You know, they're tough to find, and everybody wants one of those guys. Abdul Malik McLean was a guy that definitely was like that who ended up at USC. 
you know, Washington wanted him very badly in this in, in this um, class, and they they had a they had a late shot at him, but he ended up committing to uh, USC, and and that was uh, kind of tough for them, but. You know, you got to figure out a way to get a pass rush off of the edge because no one's going to feel sorry for you that you didn't get someone off the edge. So you got to develop them, Kim. And and I think Washington has some decent um, guys on the roster that can that can probably do it. But man, I at this point in time, I think the coaches have told us yeah. enough about the way they offered guys and the way they pursued guys that they don't feel very comfortable about where they're at uh, with guys coming off the edge, and they want to find that guy and they still haven't found that guy. And I think they're going to continue looking for that guy. Well, the other thing too, is you take a look at the offenses being run in the PAC 12 and so many of them are spreads where guys are just getting rid of the football real quick. I mean, having an, having an elite pass rusher against a team like Washington state, you know, who's just, you know, they're getting rid of the ball so fast. So a lot of the defenses are geared towards that. And, you know, Washington is playing a unique defense where it's just, you know, they got two defensive linemen and sometimes they're r- rushing only two guys dropping nine, three guys dropping eight, you know, four guys dropping seven. So it's not that standard three, four, standard four, three defense that they're running either. Yeah, no, it hundred percent agree with you. And, and it is tough to get pressure on guys, but, um, you know, Washington had been able to do it in the past. They need to continue to be able to do that. So, you know, what's UCLA going to be like? Are they going to throw the ball around or are they going to run the ball? They're probably going to end up running the ball quite a bit because they lost the, you know, they're the best quarterback that they've had there in quite a long time um, to the draft. And so uh, they're probably going to run the ball a lot under Chip Kelly. But, um, you know, Washington still has to figure out a way to get pressure on those quarterbacks and And uh, like I said, I understand it's not easy to do, but it needs to be done. They need to figure out how they can get guys that can get pressure on the quarterback and quick pressure on the quarterback. You don't necessarily need to sack him or even hit him. But what you do need to do is get in his face a little bit and collapse that pocket. And Washington, when I say collapse in the pocket, they've done really well at getting guys who are going to be able to collapse these pockets. Yeah, and what Washington was able to get is two guys, which is also, I think, a really difficult position to find. And that's two big wide bodies for the interior of the defensive line with Thule. You know what? They've got him listed at about 330 pounds. And then uh, Sam Taimani, 6'2", 320. And, you know, when we talk about wide bodies, we're talking about those Guys with the big hips, they're just wide, you know, they're, you know, uh, 40 plus, you know, waist with just those big bodies. And those guys are hard to find. And those are some big dudes they've got up there, which they're going to need with the loss of Vita Vea and Greg Gaines. Yeah. And don't forget about Mosiah Nasili Liu. That that guy is uh, already about 280 pounds as well. I think he's going to project inside. Uh, for the Huskies. So, um, you know, Washington did a really, really good job getting interior guys, guys who can collapse that pocket. And every quarterback will tell you, Hugh Mellon will tell you this, Tom Brady, Peyton Manning, all of them, all of the quarterbacks will tell you these things that the, the real uh, pressure that affects them isn't the pressure from the edges. It's the ones that are right in their face and don't allow them to step up. And Washington has done a really good job over the past couple of years of getting pressure, generating pressure inside with Greg Gaines, with Vita Vea. And I think that's going to continue with these guys that they brought in, Mosiah and Nasili Liu. Sam Taimani, Kim, like you mentioned, and Tuli. Uh, yeah, and staying on the uh, defensive side of the ball, you know, when I saw Draco Bynum for the uh, first time, I thought he was Wow. You know, and, uh, you know, Coach Pete yesterday on Softy Show confirmed that, you know, a lot of people are saying he's 6'4". Pete's, Pete's, Pete's saying he's 6'6", six, six, and I think he's closer to 6'6 six, six than 6'4", six, and maybe it was just the way he looked, but boy... Uh, Draco or Draco Bynum, I think, could be you know that guy coming off the edge. He's listed at 260 pounds right now, but uh, I really like that kid. Yeah, the coaches do expect him to put on some weight and get up into the 280 range. I think he'll probably end up being at like a five technique where he's right on the inside shoulder of the um, – or I'm sorry, on the outside shoulder of the – of the tackle and things like that. I think he's going to be that guy who can play strong side defensive end, hold the point of attack really well, you know, hold that edge so that running backs can't get outside of him and, and allow the linebackers to flow and make the plays. So, uh, 
uh, Draco Bynum is a guy that I think a lot of people are sleeping on a little bit because he committed so early to Washington and never looked back. But he is definitely a guy that I think Husky fans should be pretty excited about getting in this class. Yeah, and the guy to me that's kind of the wild card, kind of the sleeper that could, you know, I'm really interested in taking a look at is MJ Tafisi. Uh, he's an inside linebacker. Um, wasn't highly, highly recruited. Um, I think he was the second best player in the state of Utah. But the thing that he brings, he's just so physical, Scott. You know, and they're losing that with Azeem Victor. He's so physical. But is he athletic enough? And is he fast enough? Does he have the foot speed to be out on the field for those? You know, is, is he a three-down linebacker or not? But, boy, the physical presence that he brings can't be denied. Oh, yeah, absolutely. The the guy, when you watch his tape, man, he sends people backwards when he hits them. I actually likened him to a shorter version of Zine Victor, the way he plays football. He's very instinctive, comes up and fills the hole, brings that physical presence, loves to hit, loves, to, loves the contact and all that stuff. He's very smart. Uh, he's a guy that people need to keep an eye on. I don't know if he'll play right away. I think he might get the opportunity to redshirt, but um, if he does play right away, this guy's a physical, physical presence, and he will bring that to the to the table every week. And the other one, the other guy that you know, Coach Pete was just really excited about is a guy that not many people are talking about either, and that's Jack Sermon. Uh, Peter Sermon's kid was at Loyola for his first couple of years, fig, uh, finished up at Brentwood Academy down in. Um, Tennessee. But um, Pete's pretty excited about this kid. And it's funny because when I talk to the people from LA around Loyola, they would always tell me how special this kid was. And, you know, not, um, you know, don't take this the wrong way with our recruiting experts. They just were just kind of lukewarm on Jack Sermon. But Pete loves this kid. Yeah. And and it's always just kind of that balancing act that that, uh, the the uh, recruiting guys like Brandon Huffman and Blair Angulo and Greg Biggins, who all do a heck of a job in my opinion, but it's a balancing act for them because they have to go about how they project these guys um, in, in a few years. And sometimes they're going to miss and sometimes they're going to, they're going to make it. But um, yeah, I, I really think that um, Jack Sermon, the problem with him is he's not going to blow you away with his physical talent and skills. All he does is go out there and play football, and he makes hits, and he knocks guys back. And he, he's the reason that Washington didn't really recruit Ben Wilson out of Sumner very hard because Washington had a guy that was basically the same guy except a little bit better, and they felt at least, in, in Jack Sermon. So, um, you know, he's a Husky legacy in the fact that his grandpa played at the University of Washington. His dad coached at the University of, uh, University of Washington. So... You know, he's a guy that I think, you know, when you talk about the bloodlines and everything and his natural instincts as a player, uh, he's got those things in spades. And, um, you know, the other thing, too, with Jackson, you know, earlier people were calling him Jackson and now he's just Jack. But, you know, when you take a look at his dad, you know, his dad was just I mean, he wasn't all flashy and speed and everything. He was a great player at Oregon and had about eight or nine years in the NFL with the Tennessee Titans, and that's why he's back at you know in Tennessee. But uh, I think he could be one of those guys who's just you know going to maybe lead the team in tackles and just be that really solid you know guy that you can depend on. You know, pretty much like his dad was. But uh, I think the future is bright for that guy. And like I said. How many people are talking about him? So, and by the way, Scott, when uh, we've got to go back to Tennessee for the uh, scout, um, uh, not scout, the twenty four seven publishers uh, meeting in early May, and uh, the headquarters for twenty four seven is located in Brentwood, Tennessee. Brentwood, Tennessee. So, hopefully, we'll get a chance to catch up with Jack when we're back there. Yeah, yeah, and I think he'd like that. He's he's not a guy who did a lot of talking, but he he was always real gracious with his time with me. He took, you know, anytime I had questions about, hey, you know, how did you do this week? Because for those people who don't know, um, we do a weekly thing with all of the commits where we keep track of their stats, and some of the stats aren't always online, and so I got to hit up the recruits to find out what the what their stats were the night before, and 
and uh, he was always gracious with his time, sent him back to me. And um, from from the very beginning of this thing, he was like, as much as I'm loving playing football with these guys and finishing up my career, he goes, I just cannot wait to get back up to Seattle. I love it there. I, and my family's there. My, you know, everything that he wants and wants to be around is up at the University of Washington, and and he's just so jacked up um that no pun intended on that one by the way but he's so jacked up about becoming a husky and and said it couldn't come fast enough for him yeah you know brandon caho just is one of the ones that's confusing a lot of people with his ranking he did receive a uh fifth star by scout but in the composite that's gonna take a while for me to get over it so i kept on calling desmond trufant i called him marcus trufant for about a year but uh, Brandon Cajo received his fifth star by 24-7, but what's showing is the composite rating, which is everybody, you know, combined, which shows him as a four-star. But um, I know it's confusing, and just just so you know, that's going to be a big point for us back at the Publishers Convention to get some of this changed because it's, I, we just don't think the layout is good enough, and it's really, really confusing to some people. But, uh, you know, we've talked quite a bit about Brandon, but, uh, you know, whether he's a four-star or a five-star, hey, they got him. So just uh, – yeah, he might be. He might be a four star. He might be a five star. He might be a. Th- I think he might even be a three star on one of the services. Yeah. But it doesn't matter. Guess what? Washington wanted him badly, and the, and Alabama wanted him badly. Okay. They, those guys don't want players that that are terrible. So regardless of what the rankings are, that guy can play some football. Go watch his film. I dare you to come away not just jacked up to have this guy in in, in the in a husky uniform. I was giving Jimmy Lake a hard time. Just you know, you've heard the um, the uh, phrase, you know, just roll out the ball, coach. Where you know you just got enough guys where you don't really need to coach. You just roll out the ball. Jimmy Lake, boy, is he just gonna have to roll out the ball with the talent he's amassed back there in the secondary? It sure seems like it. You know, he's got. Um, he already had a bunch of four four star guys in his secondary already, and then you throw in um, Julia Servan, Kyler Gordon, and Dominic Hampton. And, and the funny thing is, as great as uh, uh, Julia Servan and Kyler Gordon are, and I think those guys are spectacular players who have great futures ahead of them at the University of Washington. Probably will be all conference guys at some point. The probably the most underrated player, in my opinion, of the entire class is Dominique Hampton. He was he, you know, twenty four seven only has him as the thirteenth best player in the state of Arizona. And I'm sorry, as much respect as I have for Brandon and for Greg and for Blair and for Greg Powers and all those guys who do all the rankings and everything like that, I have complete respect for them. I think he's a guy that they completely completely missed on he's 13th in the state number 77 as a cornerback and number 859 overall in the country i'm sorry there are not 858 players better than him in this country that guy is a lockdown shutdown corner they played saint thomas aquinas one of the power programs in florida and he shut his side down no one caught passes against him. His stats were ridiculously low because nobody threw his way last year. He only had like 16 or 20 tackles somewhere in that range. Just ridiculous how good of a player this guy is. Go watch his film. You'll see You'll see a very special player and someone who I don't think he'll have to play right away because of the depth Washington has at corner. But if he does play right away, you guys are going to be really, really happy he's in a Husky uniform. Six foot two corner. They love those big corners. And you ever want to get a smile on Jimmy Lake's face, ask him about uh, Dominique Campton because they had him in camp. Um, Mm -hmm. They loved him. And, I mean, they put him through the ringer at camp with Austin Osborne and everybody else that was at the camp. And, uh, boy, they just loved him. And he was a priority real early got his commitment early. They're thrilled with Dominique Campton. And I think that's a guy that you really, really need to keep an eye on. I know I'm going to be excited to see him, especially with that length that he's going to bring in. And then you take a look at Kyler Gordon and Julius Irvin. They didn't bring in a true safety, and they've been talking about Irvin you know, um, playing corner. But I think Irvin is one of those guys who could start out kind of like Kevin King did uh, his first year, where Kevin started out at safety, then he moved to inside nickel, and then he moved outside to corner. And I could see that with Julius Irvin, depending on who they bring in next year. 
Yeah, it wouldn't surprise me at all. He's he's a pretty versatile guy. I think uh, he's a better fit as like a cover safety in Washington's scheme, but uh, they've told him corner, and that's where he's going to start out at. And I think they'll they'll just kind of see how he plays and how he uh, fits their system and how he um, is able to handle you know the athleticism of these receivers outside. If you watch this guy in coverage, though, he's really special. He's patient. He understands routes. Uh, so he doesn't, you know, make any false steps. He understands where the guys are going and what they're trying to do. And, um, yeah, uh, I mean, for Washington to get this kid away from Alabama, from Penn State, who had a top five class, from USC, his hometown school, and from Notre Dame, a school that he really fell in love with about midway through the process, man, Washington just completely closed very well in the secondary. I think the biggest surprise in this last week of recruiting was, you know, we've been, we've known about it for quite some time, but uh, Jacob Eason, uh, I didn't expect an announcement to happen. I thought he was just going to show up, but uh, you know, Washington released a, you know, a video welcoming Jacob Eason back home with the transfer, you know, and let's be honest, Scott. I mean, I got a call from Hugh Mellon in September, you know, about Jacob Eason. I said, I don't see it. Uh, I think you got the, you, I think you pretty much had the same impression. Oh yeah, absolutely. I didn't think it would happen. I thought that Washington, you know, when they went through the process and everything were, were, um, I don't want to say they were happy to see him go, but they were, they, they weren't crying rivers when he left. But, um, you know, Chris Peterson, when he was on the Pac-12 recruiting show uh, last night with, uh, you know, the the Pac-12 guys and the Pac-12 network guys, he basically said, hey, you know, we we do have a spot for you. You know, we're not going to close off anything if things don't work out down there. Just give us a call. And and that's what happened. And and Washington, I think, is going to benefit greatly, partly because of just the way the the the. Um, I don't know what, how to say it, but the, the way the pecking order is going to work itself out at the quarterback position with Jake Browning graduating, and then you've got two really young guys that are going to be in there. And, and you've got a guy who can come in, he can mentor them for a year, all yeah. uh, year and a half, and, and, and then go on and play pro, pro ball if he has the kind of season we all think he's capable of. So I think it's a no-brainer that Washington took him. Um, I'm I'm a little surprised it happened, but then as I start, you know, early on I was surprised. But then as you just kind of think about where things are headed with this program and where things are headed with the quarterback position, and it, it just started to make too much sense to me. And that's when I started to really get clued in that hey, this is going to happen, and it's going to be for Washington's benefit. Yeah, you know, and I think, you know, there's a lot of people that are just uninformed, and one of my pet peeves is when people make dynamic, you know, statements of fact when they really are absent of the facts. And those who think that Jacob Eason lost his job or got beat out down in Georgia, it's not what happened. Um, And I don't know if you've had a chance to watch the um, series online, Scott, the QB1. It's called QB1, and it's only available online. I don't think it's on Netflix, but QB1. And it chronicles the final year of Jake Fromm, Tate Martell, and um, God, I can't remember the name of the other guy who went to Wake Forest. But when you see what Jake Fromm is, and he's from down there, the family, the kind of kid he is, Jake, Jake Eason beat him out in camp. I mean, Jacob Eason was the guy, and then he got hurt. And then he, you know, from just, you know, the team was winning. And you don't go back when, you know, the quarterback is, you know, doing that. And then he's a local guy. He's a local legend. And then they've got another five-star, you know, the arguably the top quarterback in the country coming in in this class going to Georgia. So that's two top-tier homegrown quarterbacks going to Georgia. And Kirby Smart. Georgia guy, and that's what he wants to build the team around Georgia. Jacob Eason from Seattle seems to be the guy out. I'm sure they were sad to see him go, but, uh, you know, they're in fine shape down there. But Jacob Eason did not get beat out down in Georgia. No, I fully agree with you. And the other thing that people need to take into account, too, is the fact that Jacob Eason, and I said this on the radio with Dick Fain and, and Hugh Millen yesterday, was he was nothing but professional down there and the way he handled everything he, people down there 
uh, were all congratulating him on, on coming to the University of Washington and couldn't wait to see what he did up here. And uh, we're hoping they'd see him in the in the national championship game at some point and things like that. He got nothing but props from the, from the fan base, from the players, from the coaches down there. He handled himself completely as a professional. He prepared every week uh, in case he needed to go in, in case he was needed. And he helped prepare Jake Fromm for what he was going to see out on the field. So, um, you know, it, th- there's a lot of maturation that happens once you get into college and, and once you and some kids can go either way, especially a high end uh, quarterback who who has kind of had the world laid out for him because of his talent and everything like that. Jacob Eason uh, was not that guy. Well, J- he, Scott, let's, let's go he's back. a guy who came into work every day. Let's go back a little bit, because when he was being recruited, um, you know, he got exposed down to the SEC, that rock star treatment. When he took his trip to Florida, I think it was on Snapchat. There was a video of him making out with a girl on the dance floor. And, you know, and, uh, you know, you began to wonder, you know, is this guy going to be out of control? Does he fit that profile for the OKG? Well, you know, when we're 17 and 18, we all do stupid stuff. But he went down there. He was professional. And, you know, to me, the thing that really stood out, you know, the stat that really jumped out to me down at uh, uh, Georgia to know that he had his act together and he wasn't a knucklehead that a lot of people thought he was, 3.5 GPA. You know, if you're a knucklehead, you're not getting a 3.5. I mean, that's not easy. So, um, you know, it's. It, I think it's going to be a great fit up here at Washington. It's going to be interesting to see him in spring ball. Yeah, and um, I just would hate to think what would have happened in my life if I was a high-end recruit like that back when I was in in high school and there would have been Snapchat available. I probably wouldn't be alive today. Oh, God, taking you to a party and girls in little short dresses and cowboy boots? Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Oh, man, Scott. Uh, Yeah, I I just – yeah, I'm I'm just glad that um, I'm happily married and a father of two. So <laughs> that's we'll just leave it at that. There we go. God, I could get you in a lot of trouble right now. Yes, you could. Okay. Uh, Jacob Beeson coming in. Tell me about the impact that's going to have on Daniel Bridge-Gad, uh, Jake Hayner, and Jacob Beeson, and uh, Colson Yankoff. And by the way, three Jakes in the quarterback room. It's, we'll have to figure out what you know coaches are calling him because of these yeah, they just say Jake, you know. Yeah, they're all going to look. Yeah, they're all exactly. turn their heads. Um, but uh, as, what is- as far as far as how I think it's going to impact Jacob Sermon or Jake Hayner and and all these guys, I think we're going to have to let it. You know, I, I hate to say it, but let it play out. We really are because um, you know this does impact a guy like Jake Hayner. This does impact um, a guy like uh, Daniel Bridgegad. You know, we we're all pretty sure that Daniel Bridgegad is probably not going to be with the Husky football program this, this coming fall, there were some things out on social media and different things like that. So he's still with the team as of today, but it wouldn't surprise me at all if he isn't with the program. Once we get into the summer, Um, I think he'll probably opt to go somewhere else and, and uh, see what he can do there. That being said, um, you know, I, I'll, I'll be real interested to see, I mean, unless something really weird happens or there's an injury or something like that, Jacob Eason is going to be your starter in 20, uh, in 2019. And, uh, I think he'll just be here one year and probably go on to the NFL. We'll have to see how that goes. But, um, you know, Colson Yankoff and, and Jacob Sermon would just be redshirt freshmen most likely. And if those guys are able to, to, um, sit one more year behind a guy who started in the sec, who's kind of seen it all and everything like that, don't be surprised if, if these guys just uh, put their heads down and work and try and learn as much as they can from him. And then when 2020 rolls around, one of those guys has a chance to be the, the full-time starter. And then we'll see how things kind of play out, especially with Dylan Morris coming in in the 2019 recruiting class. He'd be a redshirt freshman then and everything like that. It's it, it's a very interesting dynamic and something that I really wish there was a way we could be a fly on the wall and see how things kind of play out with the egos and stuff. Say all you want about how professional these guys handle themselves. They would not be where they are if they didn't have egos. And that's not a bad thing, but how, how do, how do, how are those managed by Bush Hamden, by Chris Peterson? I got to believe they're going to handle them just fine. How are the guys going to handle themselves? Are they going to work hard? Some of it is putting this in front of these guys like, Hey, 
you know, there's a lot of competition. Yeah. A lot, you, you, a lot of these guys will take themselves out of it because they won't work hard, or they'll sulk, or they'll they'll um, be kind of pissy and and all the different stuff. So it'll be interesting to see how the different personalities work themselves out. I, I'm pretty excited about the way. I think it's only going to make Washington better at the quarterback position, and I think Washington's in a really good spot to to take over once uh, Jacob uh, um, Browning decides to leave. Yeah, and I think the one position, you know, when you take a look at Washington's roster and you take a look at the way they've recruited over the years, the one position I think that they've probably un- been – underperforming recruiting wise. And I think the system maybe makes these guys a little bit better. They haven't brought in a really top tier running back in a long time. Chris Polk was a pretty good running back. Um, uh, Miles Gaskin, Bishop Sankey, but you know, you take a look and Washington really, this was a bad, it wasn't a great year for running backs, but boy, I'd sure like to see them bring in a top, top, top end running back. I think that's the only thing this roster is really lacking right now, Scott. Well, you know, this, we kind of fall back on, on this thing. The last couple of years, there hasn't been a lot of them out here on the West coast. And it's really tough to get those East coast kids to move out here West. And so, um, you know, Washington has had to make do that being said, Richard Newton was the guy that uh, Keith Bonifa targeted very early in the process and uh, seemed destined to become a Husky, took his time and finally made his decision. But uh, yeah, the Huskies are, you know, I, I would I would agree with you in the fact that on paper, it doesn't look as good as it could have been. But on the other hand, um, you know, Washington has done really well. Savon Ahmed is a guy who uh, I think will end up taking over for Miles Gaskin following this year. And, and uh um, you know, they've got to find, you know, Sean McGrew, when he committed as much as I, I wasn't that impressed with him, he was still a high end guy and he was the Gatorade player of the year in the, in the state of California, his senior season. So it isn't like he, you know, was chopped liver or anything like that. So, um, I, I think that Washington will figure it out. I think this year is a very good year on the West coast for uh running backs and they've already got one in the in the program in cameron davis they've already got one committed and i think you're going to see at least one more out of that group even though the husky coaches have told them they're only going to take one in this class i i think we can expect at least one more in this class and you know they'll they'll probably sell it like hey uh you know we told you that and we're still holding true he's not going to play tailback he's going to be a he's going to be a wide receiver for us so um, I, I really think that Washington has a chance to to really go out and get some dynamic guys for that for that uh, running back position, yeah. and uh, it'll be interesting to see how the class goes. Well, I think that you know this spring when you know we see Sean McGrew line up, I think this is the make or break uh, time period for Sean McGrew. Has he got his act together? Is he going to be a, a guy who jumps out, put in the work, and do what it needs? I think if Sean McGrew doesn't have a good spring, I think he's a definitely a candidate not to return in the fall. Oh, that wouldn't surprise me at all. I, I've heard rumors about his work ethic, and there's been some questions about what he's uh, done during the off seasons and in his work and and things like that. Um, sometimes, you know, we talked about it with Jacob Eason. Sometimes guys take a little bit longer to mature and and things like that, and maybe uh, the light switch comes on for him. But if it doesn't, Washington will will have no qualms in moving on from him and figuring out another way to generate some running running back competition um, once Miles Gaskin leaves. Yeah, uh, on the offensive line, Victor Tur- Victor uh, Kern, road grader, MJ Alle, kind of a project, and uh, um, uh, Mateo Mele. Yeah, Mateo Mele, I think, is that um, basketball guy that they're going to develop into a real athletic tackle. Oh, yeah. I, I'm excited to see what Mateo Mele turns into after a year or two in the system and, and what if he, whether he's able to push for playing time. If that guy can push for playing time relatively early, Washington um, has really done a great job of recruiting. I think he's probably going to be a guy – my guess is it'll probably be two years before he really sees the field very much at all. He's not going to be a four-year starter like uh, Trey Adams was at left tackle, but he's got the ability to be a multi-year starter for the Huskies. And I think the Huskies really, really like the fact that he is so mobile. He played tight end all the way up until his senior year, and now he's going to be playing uh, left tackle for them. And, and um, you know, his first year at 
uh, along the offensive line here and all state honors. He's a very, very talented kid and someone who I think that Husky fans will know the name of before um, before too long. It probably won't be for a couple of years, but man, he's going to be a special player. Yeah, tight ends. Devin Culp is the tight end that they took. I think that um, you, I think he's got a good shot to play. We didn't expect. What's the freshman, uh, the gray shirt from Oregon that played quite a bit this year? Um, oh, um, Jacob Kaiser. Whew. Yeah, Jacob Kaiser played quite a bit this year, and I expect Devin Culp to come in and do the same thing. Um, you know, with uh, Will Disley leaving, but. Um, you know, Mike Neal is a guy on the roster who's just can't seem to stay healthy. Don't know, um, you know, what his future lies, but uh, really like Devin Culp. Yeah, I do. I do too. And and I think one of the things I really like about him is he shows you at six five and two hundred and thirty five pounds, two hundred and forty pounds, that he's a guy who can actually carry the ball and be kind of a twit, quick twitch athlete. Something that you're always looking for when you're talking about kids that you bring in and and play and and I think Washington really liked the fact that this guy is a very raw player and and the, you know he doesn't really have any bad habits because he didn't really learn how to play tight end playing in a system over at Gonzaga where he he's just wasn't used in that in that way very much and um I, I I'm excited to see what he's able to develop into I don't think you'll see him this year I could be wrong absolutely but I don't think you'll see him this year. I think the coaches want to get him into the weight room, get him a little bit stronger. They also want to make sure that he um, learns the proper techniques on how to run a route and, and how to catch the ball better with his hands a little bit and things like that. But, man, this guy, he, he's super talented. At, with his size, I think he's going to be an unbelievable red zone target for the Husky quarterbacks. See, here's, some, here's me pulling something out, right? Um, okay. Losing LeVon Coleman. Devin Colt played running back all year. Mm-hmm. Any chance he could be that big running back Washington's been looking for? Yeah, I, I'm going to say no. Uh, I just I don't see it, but who knows? You know, I mean, we're not privy to a lot of the stuff going on there behind the scenes. We'll have to ask Keith Bonifa about that because we'll either get uh, he's either going to look at us like we're insane. Are you crazy? <laughs> or he'll get a big smile and go, we'll see. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah, we'll have to ask that one. But uh, yeah, um, and just uh, going out to the wide receivers, um, you know, they, they brought four, you know, three true wide receivers, and um, you know, in uh, Marquis Spiker, um, Austin Osborne, and Trey Low. Yeah, I mean, best wide receiver core group that I've seen Washington bring in probably since Reggie and uh, who's the other one? Et Charles baby, Frederick. Charles, yeah, Charles Frederick, yeah. Yeah, I mean, Washington hasn't hauled in a group like this in a long, long time. And uh, talented group, big. Uh, two, two of those guys are really big and physical. Both of them have good speed, not not high-end, like John Ross-type speed. But they can get deep. They can get behind guys on a, on a regular basis. And then you got Trey Lowe, who's uh, Chico McClatcher. I mean, you, you can't help but compare him to Chico McClatcher. They're almost the same dimensions coming out of high school. Maybe uh, Chico might be a little bit taller uh, and maybe a little bit thicker coming out of high school, but not much difference between those guys. And and it's the real easy comparison, and I think the Husky coaches see him that way. Chris Peterson has said that he sees him as a Chico McClatcher. He'll fill that role. Uh, Matt Lubick is the one who is primarily responsible for recruiting this kid and, and really jumped and fought for him to jump on the table and fought for him to get into the university, you know, for the Huskies to offer him and bring him in. And, and uh, I think there's going to be some really innovative ways they end up using him. I know you love it when I ask you questions that you're not ready for, Scott. Okay, what now? <laughs> Trey Lowe's brother, Keenan Lowe, is a guy that was uh, recruited, committed to Steve Sarkeesian and University of Washington. He flipped and went over to Oregon. What do you remember about Keenan, his brother, flipping from Washington to Oregon? Well, I, I remember that Keenan had grown up a Oregon fan, and when Oregon came in with their offer, it was going to be tough for Washington to be able to hang on to him. And and uh, I know that um, the Huskies really, really wanted him. I know uh, uh, Steve Sarkeesian um, worked really hard to keep him in the fold. But in the in when it was all said and done, Keenan just was more more enamored with Oregon at that time. But you know, one of the things is time uh, can change our opinions of things. And Keenan was the one who really helped keep 
uh, Trey in the fold for Washington because uh, Oregon was coming after him late, and and Trey said told him that he wished he hadn't decommitted from Washington. So um, just uh, you know, sometimes things work out for the best, and or not sometimes they always work out for the best. They always work out the way they should, and Washington um, is going to benefit is going to reap the benefits of that. Just a little bit of a primer for next year, Scott. Um, you know, uh, it's setting up for 2019 not to be a real deep uh, class in uh, the state of Washington. 2020, 2021 are looking spectacular. But next year in states uh, lining up, you know, early to not be a real deep year in state. Yeah, it's not a it's not a great year in the state of Washington. Washington's already got two kids from the state. And Nate Kalepo, the O lineman from Rainier Beach, and um, and Dylan Morris from uh, from Grand Papalson, the quarterback. Other than that, I mean, it's real hard to see how many guys Washington may end up offering. I I really like Darian Chase, but I don't know if Washington sees him as a fit in their system or not. I think he might be a guy who needs to get up to uh, Seattle for camp. He's a six foot. 6'1", 175-pounder out of Union High School down there in Vancouver. He can play on either side of the ball. Most of us thought he was going to end up a wide receiver, but then we got to look at him at corner, and, man, this guy played unbelievable at corner, and I could see Washington possibly going after him. Will Vea is a guy to keep an eye on. He's a D-tackle out of Eastside Catholic, 6'3", about 270, 280. Uh, he's someone to keep an eye on. Uh, if Kale Millen hadn't, or if Washington hadn't already taken uh, Dylan Morris, there's always a possibility that Kale Millen is a guy that they could have ended up taking. He's already committed to Northwestern. Everybody remembers it. Hugh Millen is his dad. He's 6'3", 190 pounds, setting records out there at Mount Si High School. He's going to have a big season. And Mount Si is actually probably going to be a pretty, pretty good team this fall. Dante McMillan is a cornerback, uh, defensive back out of uh, Chief South, not a school that typically is on a lot of people's recruiting radars, but uh, he's 5'11", 185 pounds. He just got an offer from Oregon, so if he's that good, I could see him uh, winding up, uh, at least with ha- having Washington come on and, and give him a look. Other than that, um, Soleil Palaseo out of uh, Fife. Uh, he's a defensive end, 6'4", 265, uh, former teammate of Caleb McGarry and uh, MJ Ales. Uh Well, I guess not Caleb McGarry. He's probably gone. I like Alfonso Tupatala, uh, linebacker out of Federal Way, 6'3", 240. I also really like uh, this kid out of, and I'm trying to remember his name right now. Uh, he's out of um, Timberline High School. He's a... a linebacker prospect out of Timberline that's pretty good too so there's a few guys that I can see on Washington's radar but they're not going to be early offers in my opinion I think a lot of these guys are going to have to come in and uh, work out for Washington and kind of see where things stand but uh, not a great year in in state but 2020 and 2021 oh here's another one uh, out of Chihuahua kid by the name of AJ Vongpachan man this guy is an explosive pass rusher he's not He's a guy that I could see Washington offering later in the process. He's a perfect buck linebacker uh, guy, 6'2", 6'3", 225. Watch his film. He can really, really get after it. But as far as the 2019 class, not a great year. But like I said, 2020 and 2021, oh, my gosh. There there are going to be five to ten guys that Washington is going to give heavy looks, if not offers to. And you're going to see some of those start going out here in a little bit. They've already offered a few guys. They're going to offer a lot more. Savelle Smalls uh, out of Garfield right now could possibly be Kennedy a little bit later this year. Um, he, he's he's in those classes. G. Scott, everybody's been talking about him from Eastside Catholic, a wide receiver. J.T. Tui Malau, he's a D-tackle, or I'm sorry, D.N. prospect, who could be one of the best players in the country for the 2021 class. Sam Heward, Junior Alexander from Kennedy wide receiver quarterback combo. I mean, the the list goes on. The 2020 and 21 2021 classes are going to be spectacular and Washington is in prime position to reap the benefits of that. Yeah, there's another wide receiver uh out of Kennedy as well. Um Ju- uh, Junior Alexander and who's the other one? Well, there's two more. There's actually uh two more. There's one um uh called uh 
Morrison is his last name, and the other one is Jabez Tine. Right. And Jabez, Jabez Tine is a is a freshman along with Alexander and and uh, Heward Morrison. Trenton Morrison is his name. Trenton Morrison. He is absolutely lightning with the ball in his hands, and he um, he he's a 2020 kid. So uh, the the Kennedy offensive attack. I mean, Sam Heward could break records for the way because he he's got three guys who are D1 caliber guys to throw to on a regular basis every play that he steps back to pass. So if they figure out how to get him protected and everything like that, Kennedy could be putting up 5,000 yards passing and 60 touchdowns every year. Sam Heward, uh, freshman quarterback this year, sophomore. Uh, Kale Millen's got a little brother that uh, I, I believe is in eighth grade, uh, will be in ninth grade next year. And uh, he's definitely a guy to keep an eye on. And then there's another quarterback, too, uh, a legacy quarterback. Who is that, Scott? Uh, young guy, ninth grader. Uh, you're – you, you, you – <laughs> What 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 uh, player? Uh, I don't remember. There's another one, but trust me, oh, don't you yeah. love it? Yeah, there's another player. I don't know who he is, but keep an eye on him. Okay, <laughs> thanks, Kim. That's great. Yeah, that's great. Find, can you figure out who that is by noon, Scott? Is it so? He's a ninth grader now. He's a 2021 guy. Yeah, I think so. Okay, well. Uh, we'll just have to board by that. I'll yeah. put it out on the board when I remember. So yeah, pe- people are going to be like totally scouring through the system to see if that he's in there. God, I make people crazy, but anyways, another, yeah. another all word. of us, Kim. <laughs> <laughs> anyways, another recruiting class in the books. Uh, pretty crazy. Uh, great year for Washington. I expect them to continue the role next year. So, anything else we need to add, Scott? At this point right now, oh, is it Camden Sermon? Yes. Yeah, so Camden Sermon out of Wenatchee High School, 5'11", 160, but he's definitely going to get bigger. Um, That is, uh, who is his older brother that played linebacker at Wenatchee, same year as uh, Trey Adams and is over at Montana? Jacob Sermon's got a little brother. Well, yeah, that's true, but he's in ninth grade, or he's at... at, uh, uh, Bothell as well. Yeah. So it's another sermon coming up. So that's who I was. Yeah. Thinking. That's a couple sermons coming up. Yeah. That's what I was thinking of. So okay. <laughs> God, a little punch drunk, but anyways, um, for all of us at dogman.com, uh, just, uh, just a little bit of back business, um, you know, with the transition over to 24 seven and CBS, we met with, uh, you know, I went back to Nashville last year, and they told us it was going to be an 18-month project for them to implement everything for us. There's been a lot of growing pains with us, uh, you know, just on the way things work. Um, you know, at the end of the day, we're just still putting out the great content and as much as we possibly can. Um, there's some things that we're doing that we're not used to doing in the past. Um you know, we're, you know, we're putting out a lot more content that we ever have. We go back again in May, back to Tennessee, as I mentioned earlier, and um, going to have a lot of input. I'm not real happy with the way some things are. I know that the composite and the uh, 24-7 rankings are confusing a lot of people, and that needs to be worked on. Publishers are screaming bloody murder for a viable premium chat, you know. Um, yeah, and you know, people post about chat. We just delete it. There's nothing we can do. We we complain just as much as you guys, but you know, until there's something that we can do about it other than bitch, you know, um, you know, so hopefully we'll have that thing solved. Uh, message boards seem to be rocking and rolling pretty well. The VIP thing is going to change. And what the VIP thing is right now is if you have VIP access, you can read every other board on the site. You can't post but you can read every other board and we've grandfathered some people in right now that have VIP access um, and they're going to need to upgrade shortly to get that. Uh, we think that's a pretty neat thing, but uh, just a lot of stuff going on in the background uh, for us. And next year is going to be crazier and wilder than this year, Scott, um, especially with some of the changes that are coming up. Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, I'm looking forward to it. I mean, it, it's going to be, uh, it's always a wild ride over here at Dogman, and I'm just happy to be a part of it. Excited to get started on the new class and things like that. Talk about new guys. And, and, uh, the thing is, it's funny, Kim, you know, we talk about it every year about the guy that's, um, that gets, you know, the Foster Sorrell, the, um, uh, 
what's it? Josh Garnett of the class. Who, who? Where's this guy going? Where's it? Tommy Togiai was the guy this year. I have a feeling that Savelle Smalls is going to break the record for the longest where we get it every single day. Where is Savelle Smalls going? And so it's going to be fun, but, uh, um, you know, you guys, we, we will get you the info that we, that we have and get it to you as fast as possible. Just, you know, just going to have to be patient on some of these guys because Washington performing the way they have, they're going to be on a lot of, uh, national recruits as well. And, uh, they might not end up taking a lot of local recruits, but Sabelle Smalls is a guy they're definitely wanting to take. And so that one's going to be a recruitment to keep an eye on here over the next 18 months. Three more quick questions for you. Ready, Scott? Okay. When's the next recruiting block? Uh, well, one went out today and the next one will be out on Monday, I think. Yeah, Monday. All right. Next question. When's the next recruiting blog? Uh, the next one will be out on Monday. Right. And one more. When's the next mm-hmm. recruiting blog? <laughs> uh, I think it'll be out on Monday. Oh, man. Anyway, so... <laughs> I have the patience of Job, Kim. Come on. <laughs> Anyways, hey, wild, wild year. Long podcast, the longest we've done in quite some time, but just loaded with information. So, and uh, Scott, oh, I, I lied. One more. You ready? Okay. Um, I don't have time to listen to uh, the recruiting, uh, you know, uh, podcast. Can you transcribe this for us, please? Um, you know, just be patient and wait for it, and we'll let you know when it comes out. <laughs> We'll call Fetter, see if he'll transcribe it. It's no, just... no, that's why we have interns, right? Scott, when we do interviews, right? Yeah. If we do a five-minute interview with a player, how long does it take to transcribe it? It's three to four minutes per minute of interview, so it's possibly 40 minutes. And how painstaking is that? I absolutely abhor it. I and do how, it. How does Fetter... I do it. What? How do Fetters and Luke feel about transcribing the stuff? I well, I think Luke does it because he knows that's kind of the gig. I think Fetters hates it as much as I do, but he does it because that's part of the gig. That's what you do. We're up to fifty-one minutes. <laughs> How long would it take to transcribe this? Um, you'd be talking about two hundred minutes. <laughs> two hundred minutes, two yeah. and a half hours. All right, you can do it after you put the kids down. All right. Okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Actually, more than that. More than two and a half hours. Now, almost three hours. Yeah. Ugh. No way. <laughs> so, anyways, uh, from all of us at Dogman.com, big thanks to Chris Fetters. Big thanks to Luke Munger, and the biggest thanks to Blair Angulo, Greg Biggins, Brandon Huffman, Steve Wilfong, and all the guys at Twenty Four Seven Sports. I'm Kim Grenolds, along with Scott Eklund. Go dogs.